thank you for joining us, party people, for the very first episode of Season 3. They thought we wouldn't get here. We are in Season 3. We have at least twice that many uh, uh, listeners and subscribers, so we are we are moving. I mean, it's going to be it's like the Joe Rogan podcast and then us. I can't imagine that there's somebody in between us. I am Bill Mariano. I am here with my co-host, as always, Rob Hellowell. And again, thank you for having us here. We're going to stick with the same formula for the show. Uh, and, and today's episode is really going to be no different. We're going to start out with our favorite portion, uh, season three. We're going to get into something that's near and dear to my heart, or rather causing me anxiety, in the section that we called Sightings of Radical Brilliance. Of course, as the name implies, this is the part of the show where we bring to you the latest news of noteworthy innovation, acts of sheer genius, and yes, I'm going to say it, acts of cheating. We are going to talk about the Houston Astros scandal. As a Yankee fan, I will tell you right now, I am not happy. I am completely biased. I am turned off. I, this is a black guy and that's on the sport of baseball, and it also ruined my 2017 fall and October. Uh, Rob, I know you feel just as passionately about this as I do. This is one of the things you're really going to have to help me out here. Like Bill for years has made fun of my lack of knowledge of sports in general and baseball specifically. For the life of me, I cannot understand why this is such a big deal. And please help me understand this. Sure. So I, I'm, I'm going, I, I will do that. So there are some unwritten rules and then some written rules in baseball, okay? And and so, you know, look, everybody, even people that don't know baseball, understand that the catcher gives a sign to a pitcher. If you're standing on second base, and they usually do this by holding their hand down, you know, one for fastball, two for curve, you know, and it, obviously they mix that up. If you're standing on second base and you can get a peek in and you can see what's coming, and you're like, I'm, I'm my, my, my teammate's up at bat, you know, it's, 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 it's considered... Part of the sport that if you can catch it and somehow signal to the batter, then it's really on the team to change their signs up. It's you know it's you're you're allowed to try to steal signs. Okay, that's you're allowed to do it. Uh, and it was always sort of one of those things. It was an unwritten rule. You're not supposed to, but everybody did. It was part of the game. What the Astros did was they took it to the next level. So they they first they had this uh, they had this code breaker. Um, the, the front office knew about it. So the whole organization is now involved. Okay, this is not just somebody standing at second base that thinks that might be a fastball coming to notify the hitter. They set up a team. The team was uh, you know of executives uh, and a couple. I think it even started with an intern. And they figured out. They went and looked back and watched tape of all the different t- teams that they were playing. And they tried to decode their signs. A code breaker. Uh, and they and they were able to do it for most, if not all, of the teams. Then what they did was they set up a camera in center field. Okay, and the camera was specifically set up to show the catcher flashing the signs. And in real time, that camera would be broadcasting to a big screen TV that was in the clubhouse at the Houston Astros home games. From there, uh, if they saw a fastball coming, they wouldn't do anything. If it was an off-speed pitch, they would somehow signal the batter. Now, so the technology part part of this is the camera for this portion. Uh, And then they took a very low-tech approach of notifying the hitter by banging a garbage can if it was going to be an off-speed pitch. Now, if you ask anybody who's ever played baseball, if you know what's coming, it makes the game exponentially easier, okay? If you know what's coming, this is why it's different than maybe the the, the steroid scandal where also cheating was involved, right? In, in, in steroids, you know, people, even when they weren't testing for them, uh, it was an unwritten rule you shouldn't be on these performance-enhancing drugs. Now it's ob- obviously a rule you get these big suspensions. But, you know, the reason why it's different here is a couple things. One, the whole organization was involved. It wasn't an, an individual player cheating by taking steroids. Two, there's technology involved. 
uh, and and you're leveraging now technology. And I guess what the league wants to make sure of is this isn't a race to see who can get the best technology to steal signs and notify the hitter. And then they took it a step further. Now this part's conjecture. This was not the the the, the commissioner of the Major League Baseball did not find this in his investigation. But if you look online and the Twitterverse is uh, blowing up with different video evidence uh, and theories that they evolved from banging the garbage can to uh, actually taping buzzers onto players like Jose Altuve and Bregman and different players on the team, uh, who's, by the way, whose average, uh, who, whose averages, and in, in, in especially in the playoffs, uh, went up uh, uh, quite a bit when they knew which pitches were coming, i.e. when they were playing at home versus on the road. You know, and, and so the buzzer would be something that they would activate somehow in the dugout or in the, um, in the clubhouse, notifying if it buzzed, okay, an off-speed pitch is coming. Now, you know, Again, if you know if you know anything about baseball when you're playing it, if you know which pitch is coming, it just becomes so much easier to hit. When you're gearing up for a 99 mile per hour fastball and someone throws you an 89 mile per hour changeup, you're gonna you're gonna swing and miss most times. Similarly, if you're looking for a curveball and a fastball blow, is gonna blow right by you because you're you're gearing your swing up for something different. So, so let let me just stop you here for a second. So it, for, you're gonna for have people, to stop me several times because I'm fired up. For, for people out there like me. So you have this practice that had gone on for years and years and years where people were stealing signs. A team came along and just made it a little more high tech and suddenly that made it bad. Yes. And, but, but in every other aspect of the sport, like, you know, like I saw the money or I saw the, the movie Moneyball, they use data analytics to, you know, make draft choices and, and impact all aspects of the game. That's Okay. That's fine. That 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 is just that's just running your organization differently. When it starts affecting the performance on the field, like here here's what I'll say: if you know you can use a baseball bat to hit the ball, obviously, uh, you can also using technology you can drill a hole down the barrel of the bat. You can load it up with super balls. You plug it back up with with wood and cork, um, and the ball goes 20, 30 feet further. If you get caught doing that, you get suspended. It's cheating. It's 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 using technology in that case. Uh, in that case, you know, super they put super balls, these little rubber balls, in the in the barrel of the bat. And they cork it. They call it corking the bat. Similarly, if you if you uh, do anything to the ball, if you do if there's anything that you do in the field of play that leverages some sort of technology or altering of the of the game in any way, that's always been prohibited. Strictly prohibited. Uh, catch, you know, looking at a sign, catching it from second base, somehow signaling to the hitter, or sometimes what they'll do is they'll decide, all right, I'm gonna this pitch is gonna be on the inside corner. I can tell that where the catcher's setting up. Maybe I'll lift my left hand to notify the batter about location. There, there are certain things like that you're never gonna be able to get rid of. But uh, you know, three years ago, the Red Sox got caught doing something fairly similar with an Apple Watch, and the commissioner said then he gave him a slap on the wrist, and then he made it an edict to the entire league: you're on notice. You guys cut this out because it'll be a race to the best technology. We don't want this in our sport. If you catch anybody doing it again, there's going to be dire consequences. And the Astros did it again. So even if I agreed with you, Rob, that, you know, listen, this is always, they just found a high-tech way of doing it. They were on notice from 2016 that if they did it, there would be consequences. The whole league was on notice. They did it. They ruined. The Yankees should have went to the World Series in 2017. And I'm not saying they would have beat the Dodgers, but they would have beat the Dodgers. We would have another championship. No one's crying for the Yankees. I don't expect anybody to with all the 27 World Championships that we have. That said, it's bad for the game. I mean, cheating is bad for the game. Steroids was bad for the game. This is bad for the game. It's 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 the kind of spotlight you're going to put on 
uh, a major league sport that they don't want. Uh, and I think we could we could all agree with that. Whether you think it was that big of, of an advantage or not, and we you know you could look at the numbers, the home and away averages, and things like that. The the bottom line is. It's not good that in between October when the World Series happened and opening day in, in next month that the only reason that baseball's in the news is over a cheating scandal. I know Bill's been losing sleep over this for a long, long time, and we could probably talk about this for another hour. But uh, I, I'll just say, I guess I kind of get it, but it kind of doesn't make sense to me either. Well, I mean, you know, a, a, a curveball on a 3-2 count doesn't make sense to you either, dude. But, you know, I mean, it's because you just, you don't get it. I mean, I don't, 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 don't curb my 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 anxiety here dude this is real i gotta go see a shrink about this stuff but i i'll get i'll get to the podcast i get it i get it anyway well before we jump directly into our our guest speaker segment for today i think we should probably set the stage a little bit you know in the first three episodes of season three we're actually going to be taking live recordings from our first ever live law and candor show that we did during legal tech in january what we've done is all three of these segments will be trickled out to our audience over the next three episodes. Uh, we're extremely excited to share them. The live sessions were incredible, and um, we're glad that we're able to incorporate those into the podcast. We're going to start with the first segment, which was um, a great friend of ours, Josh Kramer of AstraZeneca. Josh is going to answer some key questions around big data and help us uncover some really important solutions. So without further ado, let's go ahead and dive in. Josh, maybe just to get started, uh, not everyone has the pleasure of knowing you like, like we do. Uh, give us just a little bit about your background and how you got to this state. Sure. I'm, uh, I'm an attorney and, a, I guess, technologist, a technology-oriented person. Um, and uh, I first practiced and then went into e-discovery, and now I'm uh, inside AstraZeneca. My job is to deliver technology solutions in the e-discovery space to oversee the teams that operate that technology and to help build processes that will drive positive outcomes. How do you explain to your mom what you do for a living? Because I still haven't figured out how to explain to my mom. How I just go, I just go, lawyer. Yeah, right, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's funny. I think somehow in the last few years, analytics became maybe the most overused word in, in our industry. But from your perspective and what you're trying to do at AstraZeneca, what does big data analytics mean to you? It's really about making the data usable so that you can drive value out of it. You know, uh, a set of big data can either be this morass that you glumly shuffle from archive to archive, never knowing how to get rid of it and not being able to afford to keep it all, or it can be a repository for information that can be useful for reaching positive business outcomes, things like reducing the cost of review. Imagine that. Imagine that. Um, so talk, let's talk about some of the big challenges that we're facing in sort of with big data analytics today in our industry. Well, there's the classic problem that there's just so much of the data, but also uh, the nature of it is changing. And there's a lot of proprietary data types. There are a lot of data sources coming from various apps. Mm -hmm. Structured data is a problem because sometimes you have to sort of recreate the source it came from in order mm -hmm. to make it useful. And generally, I think the biggest problem is not having clear insight into your data and not clearly knowing, not, not being able to gain information from it. Yep. 
you know, there, I, I think we'd all agree that there's a lot of challenges, but, you know, in, in your job and in your position, how did you start to sort of tackle some of those challenges and what were, what were the outcomes you were looking for? Well, first of all, my, my, these views are my own and not necessarily those of AstraZeneca. If you don't, dis, if you don't agree with my views, then they all came from Bill. Yeah, that's, that's a standard. That's the same thing here. McManus says, by the way. Really? Every time he introduces <laughs> me. he says that, then. Yeah. Um, no, we just tackle these challenges one thing at a time. I mean, if you have hundreds of terabytes of data, take a piece of it. Find your, your you know, most repeated custodians. Get some information from there. Get a little bit of insight. Demonstrate that there's value from it. And then spread and then expand it. And that's how you get stakeholder buy-in as well. Yeah, I think we're, we, you know, when we've delved into this and we've had conversations about this, the interesting thing is you start to see trends in the data, and if the trends make sense to you anecdotally, then you start to think, you start to buy into the fact that some of this is working with big data analytics. So how do you get, you know, again, with, with clients we see that, right? We, we show them something, and they say, wow, that, that, that actually makes sense. I could see how you got there. I didn't realize that that was a fact, and I had no empirical evidence. Now I realize how you got there. How do you get buy-in internally? How do, you, how do you get buy-in to, you know, I want to start leveraging some big data analytics principles, algorithms, what, you know, what have you. Uh, and how do you get buy-in to actually go down that road? Because for a company, that's, that, that's, a, that's a big, I mean, I know companies are doing this around marketing and stuff, but what, like in our industry, how do you get buy-in on that? Go to the, go to the, the bottom line, ultimately. Mm -hmm. um, show the ways in which you can save money, improve outcomes, increase defensibility, reduce risk, and don't focus on the things that you think are cool and sophisticated like shiny analytics and metrics and reporting. All those things are important, but ultimately they're toward the end of defensively reducing the population that you have to pay people to review. Yep. Josh, where, where do you think that uh, analytics will make the biggest impact in the legal world in general? Uh, ultimately, I think in, um, in, in predicting litigation outcomes. I think we're pretty far from that, but I think ultimately you'll be able to pull the hottest data from all of the sources you've collected and use that to drive some model of settlement. You know, on, on one of our earlier podcasts, we talked about um, some of the, you know, direct brain connect technology that's being developed and we sort of joke that you know what if you had something that plugged into just you know a company's network could quickly go through and extract you know the most relevant information for a matter like, like will that kind of an outcome be possible or I don't know yeah I don't know for sure I think that you can take all of the information surrounding the data and use it to as an organizing principle so that the data is easier to get to, but whether you'll be able to get through to all of the different systems internally, um, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of barriers to that. Yeah. I think that more likely we'll already have our data categorized so that you won't need to go out and get it. It will essentially come to you based on your need. Yeah, yeah and it's interesting now with 365, being able to index data in place in a variety of different sources, uh, is, I think is gonna lead the way towards a lot of this stuff. Um, Rob's going to wrap this up with uh, some of the key takeaways from this, but I had one more question. Do you think this turtleneck makes me look smarter with the glasses? Absolutely. Because <laughs> I was completely Absolutely. insecure about doing this with such a smart panel. Totally. Right? Okay, cool. Because I, I figured, as Kelly pointed out earlier, I'm a gold chain away from being a guido. 
Yeah. It so. really, it's, it says two things about you. Yeah. One, that you're smart and stylish, and two, that you're wearing a turtleneck. Or that I'm faking. Well, I appreciate that. Josh, <laughs> thanks so much. Thank you very much. <laughs> thanks, thanks for doing this. Appreciate yep, it. you got it. That was great. Um, I think the three takeaways that we have from this session is first, uh, data analytics is about making data as usable as possible and driving better outcomes. Second, I thought Josh summarized as well, you know, getting stakeholder buy-in and showing them really what's in it for them and how it impacts their bottom line in a very real and practical way is another great pointer. And then finally, I think, uh, you know, hottest area for the future with data analytics is actually using data to predict outcomes in legal matters. And I thought that um, Josh brought up some good points about that as well. Thank you again, everyone, for joining us for our first episode of season three. We look forward to seeing you next time.